morning. Uh, so today I'm going to be looking at uh, two different passages, something a little bit different. We'll be looking at the passage that was just read by Alicia uh, out of Mark 12, and then we'll be looking at an Old Testament passage as well and doing a comparison. And as you probably uh, gathered by the slide behind me and by the front of your worship guide and by the passage just read, we're looking at the topic of, uh, of generosity, i.e. how do we use our resources. Now, you might be thinking of all Sundays that I choose to come to church, it's got to be the Sunday when they talk about money. And, uh, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm not going to apologize for that because as disciples of Jesus Christ, we're called to uh, surrender and follow him in all areas of our lives. You know, we're going to follow him with what we say, what we think, uh, you know, how we work, how we relate to our families and each other. Um, but also how we use our resources and our, our time. And, uh, you know, and, and so when we talk about money, we're in good company because Jesus himself spoke a lot about uh, how we use our money and our possessions. So 16 of his 38 parables, in fact, focus on this topic of, of how we use our, our, our time and, our, excuse me, our money and possessions. Uh, the Bible itself has 500 plus verses on on, um, on, on prayer, less than 500 on faith, but over 2,000 verses in the scriptures deal with our possessions and our, our, our money. So why does the Bible and why does Jesus, why do they spend so much time talking about this? Well, I, that's a good question. I, I think it's because it's about priority. You know, it's about what we value first and foremost. And I think it's about ultimately the condition of our hearts, what we worship what we put first, what we put our, you know, our trust in. And, and so, you know, you, you, we think of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he famously said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. In other words, what do you treasure? What do you put your, your trust in? What do you spend your time amassing and your energy and a focus uh, protecting? So this is not a, just so you know up front, this is not an anti-money sermon. It's not an anti-wealth sermon. Uh, you've probably heard the phrase, money is the root of all evil. The Bible doesn't say that. What the Bible does say is, love of money is the root of all evil. Money and possessions are neutral. Uh, they are, they're simply material objects, neither good nor bad. So money is not the root of all evil, but we're warned, love of money is the root of all evil. You, you look at the scriptures and you have a variety of people who are held up of people of the, of the faith, heroes of the faith. You have people who have very, very little, like this woman here who puts in two small coins. Uh, you have people who have a lot, like King Solomon or, or Abraham or, or Job. And in the early church, we have examples of people who were prosperous, who supported missionaries' journeys, who provided houses for church gatherings, who helped meet needs. So money is not the root of all evil, but the love of money is. We're warned that over and over. And just by the sheer amount of verses and parables that deal with this, we need to know that this is a serious issue and, and it's something we need to pay attention to. So how do we know? How do we know if we are following Jesus faithfully and well in regard to our use of our of our resources? Well, I would say one practical thing we can do is, is take a look at our, our checkbook, budget, bank statements, investments. I don't think there's 
is, it's a pretty good gauge, really, to figure out what our priorities and our, our values are uh, through the use of how we spend our resources. It reveals a lot about, about us. It reveals a lot about you know, our, our, our worldview, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus said this uh, about how people view their possessions. Uh, he, he said um, that uh, the majority of folks, a lot of folks, put their passion into pursuit of building treasures on earth. And treasures that have no permanence. I mean, whatever we spend our energy on that will not live past the grave is really a waste of time and a waste of, of resources. Now, many of us are in debt paying for things no, we no longer have or that have long worn out. So if you pour yourself into the pursuit of having worldly things, if that's your primary goal, you need to hear Jesus' words. He tells us to be different. Again, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, where he says, Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, we can, we can say that, that money and possessions, we're not materialistic. It doesn't have a hold on us. But we can always tell by our actions, by our choices, whether it tends to or not. So let's go to our, our, our passages and do a comparison here. Uh, Mark 12 was read earlier, the widow uh, who puts in a little bit compared to uh, people who put in a lot. That's one, one story. Uh, but the other passage I want to look at and do a comparison and see the common denominators here and how it relates to us with generosity is First Chronicles 29. Um, now, now, First Chronicles 29, it's a passage towards the end of David's life, King David, and we know a lot about David. I mean, he's one of the most famous figures in the, in the, in the scriptures. I mean, if you go to Sunday school as a kid, you learn all sorts of stories. You know, he's a shepherd boy, kills a lion and a bear who tries to harm his sheep. He comes into the public eye when he, when he, slews, when he slays uh, Goliath, this, this monster giant of a man, in a showdown with a slingshot and a small stone. He, he uh, handles himself with grace and courage and wisdom as King Saul is jealous of him and pursues him. He leads his people as a general to many great triumphs, and he leads Israel into the golden age of prosperity and success. He's a man of many talents in scriptures, not only a military leader, but also a psalmist and a skilled musician. So now, those are the positive things. But we also know, scripture is very honest about, about people, very honest about their flaws, and David had his flaws. We know that as well. Uh, maybe the most famous one, he sees a woman, Bathsheba, she's gorgeous, she's bathing, she's married to somebody else, he wants her, he takes her, she gets pregnant, he arranges for her husband to be killed in battle. As a father, he, he, he wasn't very successful. He played favorites. He overindulged and underdisciplined his favorite son, Absalom, which leads to David's heartbreak and the death, the rebellion, and then eventually death of his son, Absalom. But despite all these sins and failures, David is known as a man after God's own heart. That's what the scripture says. These are the things we think of when we think of David. But towards the end of his life, here in 1 Chronicles 29, he has one more great moment. It doesn't involve battles or composing music. 
It involves generosity, raising funds, personal sacrifice, giving. Now, the context here is, is God has instructed David to build this great temple, a, a place, a focal point for the people of Israel, people of God, where we come, they would come and they would worship and they would hear God's word and they would make sacrifices and they would uh, be in God's presence and be with each other. It would, but David is not going to be the one to build it. We're, we're told this when God says to David, you are not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and you have shed blood. Solomon, his son, is going to be the one to, to build it. But David's directive, his mandate is to, is to lead the fundraising to, and to give toward a building that he is never going to use and that he will never even see. So let's take a look at his response. First Chronicles 29, starting at verse 1. Then King David said to the whole assembly, all the people of God, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. Well, that's, that's kind of motivating, you know, okay. <laughs> uh, the task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. With all my resources, I provided for the temple of my God, gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, wood for wood. goes on to list all these different precious stones and metals and woods. And then he says, besides in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God over and above everything I provided for the temple. Then he goes on to list all this stuff and commentators say that it was probably worth uh, over a billion dollars in, in, in today's money. And then he challenges the people. Now, who was willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord? Who was willing to set themselves apart for the Lord? Now, did David make this massive gift to be thought of as generous and great? Did he do it to have his name put on the building? Did he do it for his own benefit? No, we know that he was long dead and buried. He would never get to worship there, ever darken the doors. But he gave anyway, gladly and joyfully and sacrificially from his great wealth. And God was blessed and it cost David something, didn't it? It was given humbly and gratefully and worshipfully. Makes me think of another giver. Take a look now at her story in Mark 12. It's a short passage, so we're going to read through it again. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Now, what do these two stories have in common? Well, they're both public gifts, you know, David gets a lot of attention. He's the king, right? He has the microphone and he gives over a billion dollars. But her gift doesn't get noticed. It's just a couple copper pennies, but Jesus notices and he is blessed and he is pleased. And he sees something in this small, small gift by this, this uh, inconsequential woman 
He sees something in her, her gift and he uses it as an example to his disciples on what it means to give and how to give and, and why to give. He says, I tell you the truth. She's put more in than everybody else. They gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything all she had to live on. What do these two have in common? A billion dollar gift by a wealthy king and a gift of a couple mites by a widow. I think the answer, we can start to connect the dots in a little bit farther in First Chronicles 29. Listen to what David and the woman have in common. Verse 10. Praise be to you, O Lord God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Verse 12. Wealth and honor come from you. Verse 14. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Both gave sacrificially because they had a vision of who God is. Of what God has given us. And why God has given it to us. Another way of thinking about this is, is sacrificial giving begins with a person, God, who is the Lord of all things. A perspective. It's all God's because it came from Him in the first place. And a purpose. It is to be used to bring glory to the name of the Lord. A person, a perspective, and a purpose. Now, both the widow and King David, they acknowledge that God owns it all, right? They both give, both make sacrifices as an act of worship. David doesn't do it to give, to get glory and attention. He gives for the glory of God. The woman doesn't give her small amount to draw attention to her and to get charity. She gives for the glory of God. It's not, hey, look at that poor woman. She is so spiritual. Boy, she really is living by faith. She doesn't do it for those reasons. She doesn't know anybody's noticing. She gives for the glory of God. And ultimately, when we are willing to give it all in sacrifice, it shows that God is Lord. It shows that He is the treasure of our hearts, the treasure of our lives. And, and that's what really generosity, that's what stewardship is, is really all about. It's not about the money necessarily. It's about the attitude regarding the money. Is it God's or is it yours? Is it yours to do with how you want to do it, to do with what you want? Or is it God's to do with as, as he wants I think the Bible and Jesus deal with this topic so much because it's such a temptation for us. I've earned this. I received this. I've worked hard. You know, and, and we think it's ours, but we, we are simply managers. We are, we are stewards. We are to hold loosely to whatever God has entrusted to us. Not, not to clinch onto it tightly, but to let loose of it, to open it up and allow God to direct our use of his resources. Yeah, think of it like a, like a thermometer. How we use our money is like a spiritual thermometer. It shows how warm our heart is towards God or how cool our heart is towards God. It shows where our priorities lie, where, 
where growth needs to happen in our lives. As Elton Trueblood put it, our faith becomes practical when it is expressed in two books, the date book and the checkbook. The use of our time, use of our resources. Most valuable commodities that we think we have. But they're not ours, they're God's. He's given them to us. And we are simply stewards of the time and the resources that we've been blessed with. So in the next couple of days, I'd encourage you, look at your, look at your financial records. Does how you use the resources that God has given you show that he is first and that you are trusting him for your security and your future? In other words, what motivates your, what motivates your giving? Is it obligation? If it's obligation, then you're going to look for loopholes. You'll look for well, what's the requirement? What's the minimum that I have to do? But if it's gratitude, if it's worship, if it's sacrifice, you will strive to do your best, your very best, and to give your very best. Because you know it's all God's in the first place. You know, in all things, we look to the example of Jesus, right? What did Jesus do? He gave his very life. It it cost him everything. He didn't make a donation. He made a sacrifice. In view of the cross, we must be asking ourselves, how much can I give, not how much can I get away with giving? C.S. Lewis spoke to this when he wrote, the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. If our charities do not at all pinch us or hamper us, I should say they are too small. In other words, does it cost you something or not? When Jesus laid down his life for you, when he wiped the slate clean of your sins, when he invites you into a relationship with him, when he secures your eternity, when he promises to bless your life, when he gives you his everything, and then asks you, ask me to honor him and to show gratitude through some practical behaviors and commitments, our heartfelt immediate response to reflect the attitude of the woman who put in everything she had. Yes, Lord, whatever you want, just say the word. It's all yours anyway. You see, it's ultimately not about the money. It's about the condition of her heart before God. And if Jesus truly is our Lord, then all that we have is his. And we will see all that we have as a gift from him. And we will have the attitude, and we'll give with the attitude of the woman, the widow, and David, no matter how much we give, no matter how much we have to give. And we'll do it for the benefit of others, and most of all, for the glory of God. David asked and challenged the people. And it's a challenge to us today. Who are we that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, And we have given only what comes from your hand. May we grow in our generosity for the sake of God, for the glory of his name, for truly where our treasure is, there our heart will be. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and first of all, we want to say thank you. Thank you. You are a good and loving and faithful and giving God. The evidence of generosity is all around us, Father. 
And it's most supremely demonstrated in the gift of Jesus, who willingly gave his life so that we could receive the gift of life from him. Lord, we, we confess that we need to grow in the area of generosity. Uh, most of us at times struggle with relinquishing things that we think that are ours. That is not to negate the hard work or effort, Father, but ultimately, even the ability to do those things and to earn things comes from you. We are totally dependent upon you. And so, Lord, help us to have that attitude. Help us, Lord, to um, keep our hearts soft and warm toward you in this area. That we would release these things for your purposes and give them back to you. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.